Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Good morning, church. Happy Memorial Day weekend, and I hope everybody is doing great. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you guys that this coming Wednesday, Emma is going to be teaching her evangelism training. Uh, It's going to begin this coming Wednesday and run for multiple weeks. And that is Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. It'll be a Zoom meeting. All that information is available on our website as well as on the bulletin. And one of the things that she's recommending along with the evangelism training is this book here. It's called Pioneering Movements by Steve Addison. Wonderful book. All right, well, let's get into the Word of God. Um, Let's turn to Romans chapter 14. It'll be a few minutes before we get to Romans chapter 14, and then I'm going to have you turn to a couple other scriptures today as we dig in. We are continuing a little mini-series on end times events. And for the past two weeks of this series, we've been talking about the rapture of the church, which is a moment in time when the church is caught up, taken from earth, caught up to be with Jesus before God pours out his wrath on what is known, what we know as that seven-year great tribulation. And as we've been studying, it's an event that could happen at any time now. It is the next event on the prophetic timeline. We've been talking about that for a couple of weeks. But we want to talk about a little something different, what happens after the rapture today. And so for a Christian who's looking forward to the rapture, which we should all be looking forward to the rapture because it means it's that moment that we get to meet our Savior. But for those who are looking forward to the rapture, generally our thoughts go to the glory of being in heaven with Christ, as it should. And then looking forward to being done with all of the hardship and the corruption and the sickness and the pain and the suffering and all of the junk that we deal with here in this fallen world. And rightly so. Scripture calls us to look forward to this in multiple places, but one of them is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. And it says this, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So that's going to be a glorious day. The day of the rapture, the moment that we get to see Jesus, a glorious day. It'll be the greatest moment that any one of us will have ever experienced. But it'll be a sweeter moment for some more so than for others. You see, there's something else that we need to consider when we think about the rapture. Outside of the glory of being in heaven, which is true, which we look forward to, but there's something else that we need to think about, something else that we need to consider in this life about the rapture and when we think about that rapture, and that is that after the rapture, we're going to stand before Jesus. And we're going to stand before Jesus to give an account for our lives. That's the point of Luke chapter 21, verse 36, which in its context is talking about the rapture. And in verse 36, it says this, but keep on the alert at all times. In fact, many of the verses that we've looked at 
on the rapture. That's been the application, right? Be alert, keep on alert. This one says, but keep on alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape the things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And so the point is that one of the results of the rapture is that we then stand before Jesus at what is known as the judgment seat of Christ. And this is a place where we will give an account for what we have done with what we've been entrusted by God. We'll give an account for our lives since being saved. So we'll give an account for our time, for our efforts, for our talents, what we did with the spiritual gifts that have been given to us, what we've done with our resources and our opportunities and so forth. Now, this is consistent with some of the passages that we've been studying over the last couple of weeks. It is taught by several of the parables that Jesus gives in the Gospels, including one that we looked at last week. If you remember, we read through the parable of the diligent servant and then the kind of wicked servant or not so diligent servant there in Matthew 24, where the master left his household in the charge of his servant and he was expecting that his servant would be diligent that his servant would work hard and be about his master's work. And the diligent servant was, did work hard and was rewarded. But the wicked or the lazy servant didn't, was actually surprised that the master returned so suddenly and was dealt with very harshly. This is also consistent with some of the application that we've seen in some of the rapture verses, specifically one that we studied two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which said this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil, your diligence, your servanthood, your your sacrifice, it's not in vain in the Lord. And it's not in vain for a couple of reasons. Number one, and simply, is because God can use it in the here and now in some people's lives now on earth. But number two is this, it's not in vain because God will reward your toil, your diligence, your faithfulness with eternal rewards in heaven. Even Jesus challenged us in in, in Matthew chapter 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't, Don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. But what Jesus says is store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, in talking about the judgment seat of Christ, it is very, very important that we understand that this is not a judgment for sin. This is not a judgment. We will not stand before Jesus to give an account of our sin. If you belong to Christ, if you're a born-again believer, all of your sin has been paid for on the, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So this is not a standing before Jesus to give an account for sin. In fact, one of my favorite verses to quote on a, a subject such as this is Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. You've heard it many times where Paul says, You were dead because of your sin, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ. 
and he forgave all of your sins. And he has canceled the record of charges against us and he's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. And so the judgment seat of Christ for a believer is not have anything to do with sin. We're not standing to be accountable for sin. Now, for the unbeliever, when they stand before Christ, they'll have to be accountable for every single sin. Those who have not come to Christ by faith, those who are still in their sin, will have to give an account for every single sin in their life. This is pictured in Revelation chapter 20 in what we know as the great white throne judgment. It'll come sometime later and we'll talk about that. It comes after the second coming of Jesus. It comes after the millennial kingdom. But for the Christian, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment for sin, but rather it's a judgment for our diligence and our faithfulness in our lives since we've been saved. And there's three key passages here that deal with the judgment seat of Christ. Number one is where we've turned to in Romans chapter 14, and look at verse 10. It says this, But you, why do you judge your brothers? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as long or as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. And then verse 12, so then each one of us will give an account for himself to God. Now, the broader context of Romans chapter 14, which you guys know because we've studied the book of Romans, the broader context of Romans 14 is one Christian looking down on another Christian because the other Christian isn't as far along in their faith. And so they're kind of viewing them with contempt. But the relevant portion of this passage for us is Paul's declaration that every single believer, without exception, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will give an account for his or her life. What they have done with what God has given them, what God has entrusted to them, before or since, rather, they have been saved. The second key passage here is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's look at verse 10. It says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, it tells us that all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But in this particular passage, the emphasis of this verse is on the basis of the judgment. What is the judgment based on? And it tells us that we will be recompensed for our deeds according to what we have done, whether good or bad. Again, it's not a judgment for sin because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But rather it is a judgment based on our faithfulness, based on our diligence to the calling that God has put upon our life. Whether you and I are walking 
in that calling with the gifts and the talents and the resources and the abilities and the energy and everything that God has given us, are we walking in that calling? Because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why we were created in Christ Jesus. That's what he saved us for. There was something that he saved us for. There was a work that he wanted us to do. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment based on whether we're walking in these good works, which God has prepared for us, whether we're walking in that calling. The third key passage is here in 1 Corinthians 3. So let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the most detailed verses on the subject. And let's look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says here, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will be evident for the day, I have that portion underlined, for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If a man's work which he is built on, if it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. So verses 10 and 11 begin this illustration or this imagery of construction and building. And the foundation has already been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ, meaning that the church was established by him and for him, and meaning that Jesus is the example of what we are to be and how we are to live. And so with Jesus as the foundation, we are to be building upon his example of mission and love and care and diligence and sacrifice and all of those things, right? Jesus said, he says in John chapter 20, 21, as the Father sent me, I also send you. We have been sent to build upon that foundation, which is Jesus Christ. So the question then comes to you and I, the question that we have to answer is, how am I doing at building? How am I doing at building on the foundation that has been set in my life, the foundation being Jesus Christ? Because each man, it says in verse 10, each man must be careful how he builds on it. We're to be careful, we're to be diligent, we're to be faithful to build well. And what Paul's doing here is he's building this imagery and he wants us to view our whole life as a building project, right? If the foundation is Jesus, then the foundation is rock solid. But the question then turns to the quality of our building and how faithful we are with our lives in the building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And verse 12 gives us kind of six building materials that are to represent the quality of building in our life. 
our work is to equate to one of these, whether it is gold, whether it is silver, whether it is precious stone, whether it is wood, hay, or straw. And in verse 13, the focus on these materials is how well they'll endure fire. And the idea, as we said here, we studied these passages when we were in 1 Corinthians, and so you guys are, are, are somewhat familiar with them. But the idea here is that you and I would view our entire life as a building project and view ourselves as building every day. Every one of us are building, whether we're building our own little kingdom, which is temporal and invested in the things of this world, or whether we're working on God's kingdom, which is eternal and will last forever, right? We're all building something, and we're all to view our lives as these builders in the imagery of what Paul's giving us here. And so the question is, what's the quality of your work? of your life's endeavors, of, of our daily efforts? What's the quality of it? Is it an eternal work? Are we living out the, the, the calling that God has given you and me in our lives? The, the very specific and individual calling that God has placed on our lives. Are we living that out? Is it a God-glorifying work that'll last past this life? Or is it a temporal work? Right? Is it a shallow, kind of cheap work that'll perish with the things of this world? Right, Because verse 13 tells us, Each man's work will be evident, for the day will show it, because it'll be revealed by fire. And when he says here in verse 13, the day, he's talking about the day that we as believers stand before God and give an account, that judgment seat of Christ, where we stand and we give an account for our lives, our gifts, our talents, our resources, and all that God has given us. So there will be a moment where we'll stand before Christ and he's going to ask us based on how long we've been saved. He's going to say, okay, you've been saved for X number of years. Maybe you're saved for five years, maybe 30 years, maybe 50 years b before you die or before you're raptured. He's going to say, you, you've been saved for all these years. What have you been up to? And all of the works, all of the efforts, all of the endeavors, all of the investments of our life will be tested by fire at that time to see whether they're a kingdom work that endure, whether they're gold, silver, or precious stone, or whether they're a temporal work, whether they're worldly pursuits that are going to be burned up, wood, hay, and straw. And every time I read this passage, I always have that same kind of imagery in my mind as we're standing before Christ, you know, and every one of us will have this moment where we stand before Christ. And then next to us, as we're called in to, to the throne room, there's this gigantic pile of stuff. And, and this pile of stuff is all of our life's work, right? All of our pursuits, all of the things that we spent time on, everything that we invested our resources in, everything that we put our energy into, it's all stacked up right there before our eyes. Maybe, maybe for some of us, you know, it's 10 stories high, just all of this stuff that, that we've been involved in in our life. And then the fire of God falls upon all of it. And the question that Paul is asking us here in these verses is what's left? If the fire of God falls upon all of the pursuits of my life, what's left? The only thing that will remain is that which was of kingdom value, that which was done for the glory of God. 
And so he says in verse 14, if any man's work, which he has built on, if it remains, he will receive a reward. So for the diligent and for the faithful who have served God well with right motives, God has a reward for them that lasts for all eternity. That's what Paul was getting at. That's what Paul was looking forward to in 2 Timothy chapter 4. As he was coming to the end of his life, he says there in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so Paul's coming to the end of his life, and he's reflecting back on what he's done since he's been saved. And he's able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. I've been diligent with what God has given me. I've been about the Father's business. And so he's looking forward to this moment where, where a crown of righteousness will be given to him by Christ himself. He's looking forward to that moment that he stands before God because he knows as the fire falls upon his pile that there's going to be that which remains. But then he says it's not only for him, but this is for us as well. For all those who love Christ's appearing, all of those who look forward to the rapture and live our lives in light of the rapture, being about God's business. That's why Jesus told us, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. But the flip side of this is true also, because it tells us there in verse 15, verse 15 deals with those, well, that didn't really do much of anything for the kingdom. Their primary focus was the things of this world. And so it says in verse 15, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as through fire. So that individual, yes, they made it. Yes, they're saved. But they really have nothing to show for a life squandered. And so what that means is there will be Christians that make it to heaven with nothing to show for their Christian life on earth. And so what we're called to reflect on now is where is my life most deeply invested? Are you and I invested in such a way that we're building God's kingdom? It is our pursuit that which is imperishable and eternal is that what we live for and spend our time and our energy on? Or are we invested in the things of this world, the temporal things that are perishing? Is that where most of our time and our heart and our energy and, and our investment goes? You know, was, I'm done as far as sermon goes now, and, and I was thinking that this is probably the shortest teaching that I've ever done in the history of sermons on a Sunday morning for the mission. But I don't think that this is a subject that needs a lot of in-depth exposition. It's really clear what Scripture's teaching us on this. It doesn't need a real in-depth exposition. What it needs is a real in-depth personal reflection. It, it, it needs us to stop and to consider what these verses are teaching. It, it needs us to really think about that moment. 
that we're going to stand before Jesus and understand that it's actually a real moment that is coming. And then to really look at our lives and ask the question, am I ready for that moment? Am I ready for the moment that I stand before Jesus to give an account for what I've done with my life since I've known him? Am I ready for my life's pursuits to be piled up before me and then have the fire of God fall upon them to see if there was anything of kingdom value within it? Am I ready for that moment? And I pray that we are. And so let me, um, let me pray over you guys now as we reflect on these things and go out and live a life for Christ. Lord, I'm, I ask that um, as we think about these verses and we think about our life since you saved us, if we look back upon it with regret, I pray that we'd use that as motivation and as a catalyst to now get going. We can't start any sooner than now. And so may we leave the things of the past behind and press forward. And may we as a church really genuinely pursue you. May we hear from you. May we live out the callings that you've placed on each one of our lives. May we use the gifts that you have given us, those precious spiritual gifts that you gave us to use for the building of your kingdom. And may we then be the wise master builders that build on that incredible foundation of Jesus Christ with our, as our example. Lord, I pray your spirit would fall upon our church, that you'd speak to each one of us now individually. In Jesus' name, amen.